Welcome to Utah Opera's Cultural Festival. Enjoy 40 days of opera events, September 1st through October 15th, as we kick off Utah Opera's 40th anniversary season with Puccini's La Boheme. For more information and a complete schedule of events, visit utahopera.org festival. The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony's Ghost Light Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Jeff Counts. I'm joined today by the sisters Peterson, Leslie and Michelle. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. It's great to be a part of this. Great to have you. Leslie, you are the Vice President of Development for Utah Symphony and Opera. That's correct. And Michelle, you are the company manager for the opera. Yes. Well, it's great to have both of you. Now, if you know anything about Utah Opera and you listen to this podcast regularly, you know the Peterson name and you know that these are the daughters of Utah Opera founder Glade Peterson. And to me, that makes them royalty in this town. And I think it's great that they're both working for the company that their dad founded. And I know you've both made your own marks on the institution, but I, I suspect maintaining a family legacy can be sort of tricky. I mean, what are the challenges... What have they been over the years? What's it been like to do that? First of all, I have to say, this is not the Peterson Opera Company. It is the Utah Opera Company. Uh And so we (laughs) belong to the community. And we are ever mindful that it's the community that built this organization and that it's a privilege and not an entitlement for us to work here. I would say that neither of us has the personality that our dad had, and that's probably a good thing. I think two of us in this company, continuing that legacy might be a little bit challenging for everybody else. Oh, I, don't, I wouldn't agree. <laughs> Michelle is certainly a performer in her own right. Mm-hmm. I'm not, and so we never really competed with dad in that way. Yeah. I have to say he was an outstanding fundraiser, and so I do try to channel him on occision when I walk the streets of Salt Lake City and uh, visit. Our, our donors. He, he was, was good great, at that? He spoke well about it and could, could motivate people? You know, he was really, as somebody just recently pointed out to me again, uh, the personality who made this company thrive yeah. in, in the beginning. Yeah. And uh, we can only hope to continue in his footsteps. How about well, you, Michelle? What's well, it been like th- for you? I, I think the community has such a strong base and such a if you will, a pioneering heritage. And you look at all the different arts organizations and the people who started the arts in Utah, Mm -hmm. you know, from people like uh, Shirley Ryrie and Joanne Woodbury, Linda Smith, people like that, you know, it's a very unique and wonderful legacy that this community has. And I think you can only build on that. I think the per capita numbers with regards to arts coverage in Salt Lake City are kind of staggering Yeah, when compared not just to cities of our own size, but cities of any size in Mm -hmm. America, just in terms of the number of opportunities people have to see great art. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you said, not just great art of today, but companies with long-standing reputations and histories. I think you're right about that. Well, I take your point, Leslie, about it not being the Peterson Opera Company, (laughs) but I think for those of us that work with you and work here in the company, we take your dad's legacy very seriously, and we know how important it is, even though you won't say it to all of us here (laughs) in the company. You were going to say something else, Leslie. I was going to say that some of the challenges that we've encountered being part of the family legacy uh, come up particularly during times of transition. Mm -hmm. And I think this is true for any organization when the founder moves on for whatever reason, having to uh, create or or capitalize on the momentum that's existed to uh, push the organization into the next era. 
And uh, that was certainly uh, true when we hired Ann Ewers, and she brought a whole different set of knowledge and skills to the organization and helped elevate the company in many, many different ways. And then I think the merger was another Mm -hmm. uh, challenging time, and I think it's a testament to the people involved on both sides of the curtain that uh, allowed the company to thrive as it is today following what was a very unusual situation. Well, we are a very unique company and that it's the, the symphony and the opera are merged. It's, right. we've, we've discussed it here, and in, mm-hmm. frankly, we've discussed it ad nauseum in, the, in this town since 2002. And I wonder what your dad would have thought about that whole process. I mean, Anne had a gale force personality, and mm-hmm. she was able to convince this town mm-hmm. that it was the right thing to do. But mm-hmm. I wonder what your dad would have thought of that, the whole mm-hmm. the idea of the merger. Hard to say, but he and Maurice Abravanel yeah. were very, very close. Right. In fact, Abravanel was one of the driving forces behind my dad's decision to become an opera mm-hmm. singer mm-hmm. and uh, encouraged him to pursue that career. And the Utah Symphony always performed in the pit for all of our operas, with one exception when the orchestra was on tour. Right. And so there's been a long history of uh, collaboration between the two organizations. Well, and I think Anne and Glade had similar personalities in that they were very bold and didn't shy away from anything. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's what it takes to pull off <laughs> yeah. you know, a successful opera company for, yes. for 40 years. We'll come back to that 40-year thing in a second. But, you know, your dad didn't just start out as an opera artistic director. He was a tenor. He was a singer, right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I know that you guys spent some time overseas, abroad. Right. Were, were either of you born abroad? I can't recall, actually. Well, I was actually born in Switzerland, uh-huh. right outside of Zurich. Leslie yeah. was born in New York, uh-huh. as was our brother, Kelvin. Yeah. That experience was so fabulous, you know, to have been exposed to that whole European culture and the arts in Europe in particular. Sure. And we, both of us, had wonderful opportunities to perform with the Zurich Opera House yeah. and grow up around uh, and amidst the arts there. Um, so that was a wonderful experience for both of us. So you have amazing memories from that time, I'm sure. Great memories. You grew up yeah. bilingual, probably. And, we did. We, did. Yeah. we both attended the uh, Swiss public schools and mm-hmm. grew up speaking German. Mm-hmm. We're both a little rusty now. We have our own version <laughs> sure. of the language. Sure, your, own, language. your own Salt Lake that, pigeon that's right. of German. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But Michelle was actually uh, a child performer and uh, had opportunities to appear in many of our opera performances. Mm-hmm. And some really vivid um, images and memories of being on stage um, with our father, um, as did Leslie. Mm -hmm. But just that image of being on stage with a singer, um, I I remember being trouble in Madame Butterfly in particular. And being um, embraced by the soprano singing Chochosan and feeling her energy and power and physicality and emotion was just one of the most poignant memories I have of being on stage. I don't think people realize being near... A professional opera singer is like being near a weather event. Yeah. I mean, there's so <laughs> Good way much. To describe it. There's so much yeah. energy. There's so much of this mm-hmm. sort of crackling mm-hmm. possibility. And in, in, in they're just not just their voice and the sound they make, but the entire potential of yeah. them as artists. It's really incredible to be close to them. Yeah, absolutely. And we grew up with that at home. I'm too. sure you did. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just on stage. There's nothing like an opera singer practicing. No. <laughs> I, but I interrupt, please. Oh, I have memories of uh, helping my dad prepare for his roles. Mm-hmm. And so he would have me go through his score and highlight 
all of uh, his role in the score, uh -huh. and then I would help him memorize his lines as well. All the languages, really. You would, you help with all that. That's great. Well, I could help with some of them. Uh -huh. uh, Czech, perhaps not. <laughs> that's tough. That's <laughs> that, tough. That's tough. Yeah. But we both performed in the children's chorus, mm -hmm. and so we were fre frequently on stage with our dad, and yeah. I remember teasing him during Carmen when he was a soldier in Act One. So we had great fun with him. Mm -hmm. And when we weren't on stage, we, of course, felt like we owned the opera house and had free run of it, uh, much to the chagrin of the stage managers, I'm sure. Yeah. And there was something we called the artist's box that mm -hmm. was on the third tier right next to the stage with very limited visibility. But we would run up there during performances and listen to our favorite singers and, and arias and cause all kinds of havoc behind the scenes. <laughs> you know, I grew up in Florida, and for me, it was the woods that I considered my <laughs> kingdom. But I, but I can imagine the three of you, little opera brats, just running yeah. around the Zurich Opera House, just <laughs> in full control of that facility. Of yes. course, it was a great playground. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about what you do for the company today. Mm -hmm. I mean, you both have very different roles. Leslie, you represent the fundraising side for the entire company, and Michelle, you're hyper focused on the opera, but you, mm -hmm. you basically run the company. The way I put this in the questions that I sent you before is that, Leslie, you raise the money and Michelle, you get to spend it. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe a very nuts and bolts <laughs> way to put it. But how often do you collaborate with each other at work? And do you have work fights ever? <laughs> We try to keep all the drama on stage where it belongs. <laughs> right, and right. what happens behind the scenes stays behind the scenes uh, with us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, we don't get to collaborate that mm -hmm. that often. Right. I give her a hard time about the expense budget from, from time to time. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, Michelle's an excellent uh, addition to the development staff when we need tours of the production studio or representation in the community. Oh, yeah. I consider her a great asset and ambassador to the efforts that go on in the development department. Do you, do you leave? with the fact that you're that your sisters do you say that right from the start like this oh, is no. my sister oh no, no. no. <laughs> people you let think people we figure like to, it out yes we let them guess <laughs> people think we're one and the same frequently yeah. oftentimes we're yeah. interchangeable yeah i'm sure that the names get mixed up quite often. right do right so michelle you were about to comment on the collaborative stuff well i was just going to say i think our behind the scenes discussions are more philosophical than mm -hmm. the nuts and bolts and nitty-gritty yeah um, more big picture i think than the day-to-day mundane tasks of running the organization. Well, those things don't need a lot of conversation, probably. No, exactly. I think the big picture stuff is where we need you both so much. But one of the areas that you're probably having discussion about quite a bit right now is the fact that the opera's having its 40th anniversary season mm -hmm. in 1718. And what an amazing place to be in the history of the company. I We've talked a lot about what your dad might think of this or that, but I'm curious where he'd come down on the state of the company right now. Would he be proud of what it's become 40 Absolutely. years on? Yeah. You know, I think it's a little bit like when you have children. When you're with them every day, you don't see sure. how quickly things change sure. and how they're progressing and maturing. Yeah. And it's also, it, it's a great reminder when you have people who've been around the community for a while who come back to the opera and say, wow, what an amazing difference mm. and how much you've grown. Mm. Because when you're in it day to day, you oftentimes don't appreciate those changes in the growth. So I think when you hear from people, it's very, very exciting. It's very exciting to think that we've been here for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, it's a little disconcerting that we can both say that we've been with the company <laughs> that long. I did not say that, for the record. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's both really... both started here five years ago, right. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> when we were five. Right, right. But it's really actually very thrilling to see the progress and the change mm -hmm. and to yeah. hear people comment on that. 
I think some of the things he would be most impressed by are the advances that technology have made and how right. they've impacted both uh, activities on the stage and behind the scenes. He would be enormously proud of the resident artists program that uh, the opera has had now for probably close to 20 years, I'm, I'm guessing. We've had Sarah Coit as a guest on the Ghostly well, Podcast. Wonderful, so, yeah. yes. So he was a, a great promoter of young singers and worked with a, a group of um, excellent Utah singers when he first started Utah Opera. And to see that, in a way, continue through these other artists who are at the beginning of their careers would be very rewarding to him. Mm. We're sitting here at the Utah Opera Production Studios, which also didn't exist when my dad was around. And the fact that we have this bustling, state-of-the-art facility that Mm -hmm. uh, encourages so much of our activity would be uh, very impressive to him. Yet another thing, this production studio is yet another example of how arts in Salt Lake sometimes outsize its population. This is the kind of thing that many big, bigger cities mm-hmm. would would find a lot of envy in the the ability we Absolutely. have to do sets and costumes here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk. Let's get a little bit more specific about seventeen eighteen. I want to talk a little bit about Jake Heggie's Moby mm-hmm. Dick because I'm sure that project will take up a lot of professional and personal real estate mm-hmm. for both of you over the next year. So, what are you excited about? Nervous about? How is how is the Moby Dick project affecting the two of you? You know, I'm very excited by it and challenged by it. And I think that's a good thing. And I think as a company, if you want growth, you have to continue to challenge yourself as an organization. Um, So I think it's very important that we're doing this. I think one of the more impactful and exciting aspects of it is the fact that we're taking an existing piece and we're making it accessible to regional companies that are closer in size, budget-wise, to ours. Right. So that we can continue to give new works and new operas an extended life, because I think that's uh, crucial that we don't just become a museum organization sure. uh, with uh, presenting operas, but that we're moving it forward. What I think of in terms of Moby Dick, I think it's um, it's a bold choice, uh, an adventurous choice, and I think that kind of speaks to our father's legacy and how bold and fearless he was. And I think that um, that's an important aspect of the organization that we need to really draw attention to and continue to do. You know, you mentioned our production studio. We have state-of-the-art costume department, scenic shop. And though we've been extremely busy in the last 10 years or so, um, taking on outside commissions and building scenery for other companies and other projects, uh, it's really important that we utilize the talents and the facility that we have to promote who we are today. And I think this gives us that opportunity. And as far as being nervous, I think it's always good in the performing arts to have some nerves. Oh, it's it's impossible not to. (laughs) Right. And it keeps the synapses going and the creativity going. So I'd be worried if we weren't just a little bit nervous. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. How about you, Leslie? How's how's this going to affect you? I had an opportunity to see the premiere in Dallas Uh 10 years ago and have been excited about the opportunity to do it here ever since. You know, our dad was involved in several world premieres. Um, He did Amal and the Night Visitors Mm -hmm. when it was first broadcast on uh, NBC uh, television at the time. And he's been involved, he was involved in a number of other world premieres. So I think he would be pleased that we're continuing uh, the tradition of adding to the art form 
platform. Of course, it's a great opportunity to solicit additional support yeah, for a new you, endeavor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, we've received one very generous contribution toward this production. Uh, because we're building the sets and costumes, there's an additional outlay of expenditures, of course. And so it's an opportunity for us to get people involved in this new venture and join us on this great journey sure. of the Pequod. Are new projects like this, are they always an opportunity to bring in new people? Is it hard? Is, do you have to find just the right relationship? I think uh, when we do things like this, it's inspiring to the community. It shows that we are willing to take risks, that we're being adventurous, and it's an opportunity for people to join us on that journey. I think they sense the momentum that we all feel and that we're generating and want to be part of something like that. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've had Terry Fisher on the show. I've had Christopher on the show. I, I've often thought of that if I had your dad on the show, that he would say a lot of things that are very familiar to our listeners. Mm-hmm. A lot of things that are very similar to what the two of you have said today, what Terry says, certainly. I think he probably would have liked Terry a lot. And I think it's emblematic of what kind of people are drawn to this profession. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that we're saying a lot of the same things and feeling a lot of the right. same things, I think is a great example of why we do this. And if these certain things resonate, it's because we're all drawn to the same flame, I guess. So we can't go without talking about your artistic lives. And I know that, Leslie, you said that, you know, that Michelle is the artist, but I know you had training as a dancer, right? I did. I participated in the Zurich Opera's ballet school Uh for many years, and that was my first love and passion. And as a member of the the dance studio, got to participate in a lot of operas when they needed supernumeraries or uh, minor parts. Uh, So that was a great deal of fun and uh, still feeds me a lot today and creates a strong connection for me in, in that regard. Um, I belong to a folk dance group in Salt Lake for a long time. Still? Uh, no, it's okay. been many, many years, okay. but uh, our grants manager, Lisa Poppleton, and I were in that group together no many, kidding. many years. And that was the end of my career. Well, <laughs> Short and sweet. If you ever do decide to stretch your legs again, make yeah. sure you let us know because <laughs> we'll be in support yoga. you. <laughs> what about you, Michelle? I know that you still do quite a bit of acting and when you can and take roles in acting companies around town. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, that, that was always my passion. I loved theater. Yeah. Um, I haven't done much lately. Time constraints obviously play a big part of that. But Things like Moby Dick. Things like Moby Dick, <laughs> yes. Right. But yeah. um, I've performed quite a bit with Salt Lake Acting Company, mm-hmm. the Grand Theater, um, the Egyptian Theater, done a little bit of commercial work. So it's always fun to stretch your legs doing that. For and sure. would love to get back to that someday when there's a little bit more time. Yeah, absolutely. Michelle just reminded me of an interesting fact about the production studios. Uh, Touched by an Angel used our right. production mm-hmm. studios as yeah. a soundstage. Yeah. Right. And so Michelle was very involved in helping set that up. Mm-hmm. And I remember one incident <laughs> uh, where you almost got stuck on the sound set and needed rescuing. Right. Well, they had very strange long hours, as you can imagine, uh, yeah, and yeah. Um, were quite frequently setting off the alarm system in the building here. <laughs> sure. So. I would run down here and and check on it. And there was one day where there was nobody around, but they had clearly been working very recently. And so I was checking things out and walked out onto our set area. And they had obviously just laid down some glue. And I stepped right into it and was stuck on the sound stage for a moment or two until I could retrieve my shoe out of the goo. You got caught in a person-sized mousetrap. Yes, exactly. (laughs) If you're a millennial listener to this podcast, you may not know what Touched by an Angel is, but it was a television show in the, what, the 90s? Yeah, probably late 90s. Late 90s. Um, And people may may not realize this, but it was filmed largely in Utah and had a very successful run. 
people in Salt Lake still refer to it. It's one of our mm-hmm. kind of claims to fame here. So, well, I'm glad that you both have, you know, history as artists yourself. Mm-hmm. And like I said, Leslie, get back into dancing. I think the, the world <laughs> needs that. Zumba calls. <laughs> <laughs> so there is one final question that I ask of all of our guests here on the show. And if you've listened, you know what it is and you've expected it. It's because of our name. And I need to know from the two of you, have you ever seen a ghost? You can have a, a joint paranormal story or two different ones. I leave it up to you. I think growing up around the Capitol Theater, we're, we're familiar with George. Of course. The theater ghost. Christopher has mentioned him, yeah. Yes, and there are many, many stories. I think George knows that I would be absolutely terrified, so he's left me alone. <laughs> but there's some great stories. Um, yeah. I often feel like I'm on the verge and feel destined that I'm going to meet a ghost, mm-hmm. but have not yet. Okay. So you are totally open to it. I'm open to it. You, you may not be looking forward no, to it, but, but you're I, open to I'm, it. I'm, yes, I'm... Yeah. <laughs> Open to the idea. Leslie, what's your story? I think George is a great scapegoat for anything that goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, hardly anything ever does. So I think George has been in a very not. patient mood over the past couple of years. Well, George, you've been mentioned on this podcast now, I think, four times. So you might be our most famous ghost to date because he was mentioned also by our, by somebody in the orchestra, also Christopher Macbeth, and both yeah. Peterson sisters. So Perhaps a future guest. Perhaps. That's a great idea. We'll have to talk to our, our, our uh, producer, Chad, about that, how we might mic the ghost best. Well, Leslie and Michelle, thank you so much for what you do for this company, and thank you so much for being a guest on the Ghost Light Podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Jeff and Chad. The Ghost Light Podcast is produced and edited by Chad Call. Utah Symphony Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.